Hello, this is Jaren. On this special episode, which wraps up our second season, Reagan and I discuss how Anabaptist perspectives got started. Since this is the end of our second season, it will be a while before we resume our regular weekly videos and podcasts. But not to fear, we will still be busy. Next week, Reagan and another staff member plan to travel to record several episodes for season three. One way you can contribute to enjoy content through the off-season is by supporting us on Patreon. We will be live-streaming many of those interviews next week on Patreon, so you can experience the raw, unedited footage. Additionally, when you become a patron, you will have access to everything we posted there in the past. This includes more live-streams and other bonus content, including some special Patreon-exclusive podcasts, where I and other Anabaptist Perspective staff discuss questions from listeners. You can access anything on Patreon with a monthly contribution of any amount. Our goal is to raise $10,000 by June 7th in order to give us the resources to release Season 3 in a timely fashion. Currently, we are about one-fifth of the way there. We count the annual value of new Patreon subscriptions towards that goal. So if you sign up at $10 a month, you will move us $120 closer to meeting our goal. Follow the link in the notes or go to patreon.com slash anabaptistperspectives. Welcome back to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Uh, we're doing something a little different here between uh, what we call our seasons two and three, where we're normally releasing our video episodes of interviews. Um, so for this episode, I'm going to do a little bit of a dive into the past. Um, we're here in our little studio down in Tennessee. My name is Reagan Schrock. I help start Anabaptist Perspectives. I normally host the episodes, um, and I'm with Jaron Miller, who is our administrator. So yes, go ahead and introduce yourself, Jaron. Hello, everybody. My name is Jaron Miller. I've been living in Pennsylvania for the past couple months, but because of some issues with coronavirus, I am living in Tennessee at the moment. This is where I'm from, and... Yeah, Reagan and I have both been involved with Anabaptist Perspectives for several years now. So today we're going to do something um, interesting. We haven't done this in an episode before, but that is tell the story of how Anabaptist Perspectives started. What's the founding vision that propelled this into reality? Um, honestly, it was Jaren and I, and uh, yeah, interesting circumstances, a bit unique. So Jaren, kick us off. Tell us what we were doing what was it? 2017, I think. Early? No, it was 2016, October, if I remember correctly. So I don't remember exactly which month it was, but sometime in 2016, Reagan was working with an organization, and because of that, he was asked to speak at a conference that was being hosted by the new Meta-run Bruderhof in western Pennsylvania. So Reagan and I grew up together. We'd always been friends, and when I heard that he was going to Pennsylvania to speak, for whatever reason, I asked if I could go along. Didn't have any particular agenda there, but I thought it'd be interesting to go along, see what's happening, hear Reagan speak, see what's happening at New Meadow Run. And so Reagan and I embarked together on a road trip from Tennessee to western Pennsylvania. Probably 10 hours or so. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> my battered old um, Buick Sentry, which is still running, by the way, it was a it was a, it was a fun road trip. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know 
anything about the Bruderhof at that point in my life. So we were, I, I was kind of going in blind. I mean, they had asked me to come talk about the work. We, we work with refugees um, overseas, specifically in the Middle East. So they wanted to hear about that, um, which was great. I was really looking forward to it. And then I mentioned it to Jaren and he's like, oh, this sounds interesting. Can I come along? So, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit random, but that's how it happened. Yeah, so... Reagan did some of the driving. I did some of the driving. As we went, we kept watching the Smashton Hood because of the deer that happened to land there. We arrive late at night, and we were met at the gate by a lot of very friendly people. They have hospitality down to a fine art that make us, made us feel very welcome. And so we were there that evening at the beginning of the conference. And then the next day... What did they have you doing, Reagan? I went off and worked on a crew making cookies in one of their kitchens. What did they have you doing the next day? Yeah, that, that's, that, that was fun, actually. We never really exchanged a lot of notes on what each other did. Since I was supposed to be speaking at this conference, um, they took me off and just kind of showed me around, show, show what they're doing. And for those of, in the honest that don't know, uh, the Bruderhofer um, communal living. Um, and so they all work together. They all live in the same area um which was really neat it was really interesting to see how it was set up and they were showing me different things and i was meeting different people they gave me a bunch of their books they do a lot of publishing and things and just honestly just had a a really enjoyable time meeting people and engaging and seeing what they're doing and how and how they live but yeah you uh what, what were you doing again well they, they divided the people up who came in the conference into different work crews i think some were doing did i hear landscaping perhaps yeah. i don't i don't know what all but I went to the kitchen in a neighboring community across the road and worked with the crew that was making cookies. That so sounds like fun. Spent a couple hours there. Then after that, um, they showed me around the community. They have a factory where they make equipment for handicapped people, which is the kind of things that people who are immobile or unable to care for themselves, the kind of equipment that they would need. So I, I, I spoke at the conference, shared some stories about what we were doing um, overseas and just in general, just trying to um, see what it's like when God's people um, do his commands and live it out in hard places. So that's what I shared about. And they really enjoyed it. We had a great time afterwards. I remember we shared a meal with them um, towards the end. And then if I remember right, we actually left that day yet, um, that next day. So we only ended up spending one night there. And one of the things that really struck me and inspired me after leaving that is how much effort they put into articulating who they are. Um, they do a lot of book publishing. They have a lot of content online. And and it was really well done and inspiring. And I mean, they had, you know, they gave me a whole stack of books and like, read this, learn about what we believe and, and why it matters. Um, so anyway, I think, I don't know, on, on the way back, I don't even remember how the conversation started, but I shared that with you or you shared it with me because I think we were both thinking the same thing at that point. We were like, wow us Mennonites ha have a thing or two to learn from this. This is really interesting and powerful how well they articulate and communicate who they are by publishing these materials. But, or am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I had a very similar experience, very much like what you talked about. They had a table there where they had their books on display. Also the Plow Quarterly Magazine, which is a very high quality publication. And they like to give away their books. So I think they loaded both you and I down with lots of books, lots of magazines, and I was very much impressed with the quality. And their organization is quite small. I think there's only about 2,700 members of the Bruderhof. 
Yet, one thing there I'm very intentional about is representing beliefs and their values, many of which we share. They're an Anabaptist group, so I think we'd be on board with a lot of what they have to say. But they are very intentional about um, representing that to the world in high-quality and accessible media, both in print and online. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I remember we're driving home from this conference feeling pretty inspired. Um, inspired, but also a little chastised about how, wow, our people, you know, I don't, I don't know what the current stats are, how many Mennonites there are in the world, but it's quite a few, quite a bit more than the Bruderhof. The Bruderhof are a much younger group. I think they've only been around, I don't know, about a hundred years. Really? Um, the Mennonites have been around for 500 years. What, what are we missing here? Why are we not communicating this well? Um, or yeah, do you, do you know how many Mennonites well, are there? According to Wikipedia, and I don't know how they count, the number on Wikipedia is 672,000, and I think that's in either North America or the United States. I know oh, wow. Central America and Africa have quite a few Mennonites as well. Mm-hmm. But whatever the case, there's hundreds of thousands of Mennonites. And in a way, um, we are doing well. We have some publishing companies, and for people who are trying to look into who we are, what we would believe, there are resources available online. But much of it's coming from a very different demographic than the type of Anabaptist and Mennonites that Reagan and I are from. I've learned many things from Greg Boyd and Bruxy Cavey. Books like Myth of the Christian Nation, some of Bruxy's sermons I've found to be very, very helpful in understanding truth, the Bible, and the Anabaptist tradition. I respect these men a lot. However, in North America, the bulk of the Anabaptists, the bulk of the Mennonites, are really at a very different place from where they're at. Bruxy Cavey, Greg Boyd, who do have a good presence on social media and YouTube are from, well, for lack of a better term, churches that are typically called liberal. That's not really where our churches are at. It's a different different type of Anabaptist. And people from our churches really have not done nearly so well at having a presence on YouTube. So like you said, feeling a bit chastised. The Bruderhof have done very well. The liberal Mennonites have done very well. Several hundred thousand Mennonites more in our demographic, not so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like we we have a lot of books from our demographic, say that would be published. You know, so like that's something we've done. Um, we would have CD sermons, but you know, our generation, Gen Z, whatever, what's a CD? Like, we can't access this information, and it felt like it was an issue of um, the infrastructure to get the message from our people out to anybody who would ever want to listen, it would be freely available. So I I think on this trip, if I remember right, we were basically going on YouTube at that point, and this is late 2016, so let's change some, and just type in words like Mennonite, enter, Anabaptist, enter, you know, what is a Mennonite? How do I become a Mennonite? And the videos we were finding were really unfortunate, very misrepresentative, sometimes very slanderous and not helpful at all. and, and I think the third result on, on YouTube was one of my own videos, which was really weird because I'm by no means an authority on this. It was just something from my personal YouTube channel. Um, and then we started, well, what about Mennonite podcast? You know, where's that? And again, it was very little or nothing at that point. And 
Remember, we've just come from the Bruderhof, who are doing their traditional book publishing, like like we would do as the Mennonites, but they also have a podcast, a YouTube channel, things that make it very easily accessible to anybody with an internet connection. Um, and that kind of struck a chord. That there was a, I think there was a moment, if if I remember right, where it just kind of might click, and the light bulb hit for both of us. Or I, I, do you remember it? Some something to that effect on this road trip back home. There was something that clicked, but it had been clicking before for both of us i remember i had been thinking in the direction of a podcast for several months and you had as well although we hadn't spoken with each other about it so i think part of the clicking you're describing is when we realized that that was something we had both been thinking about and there was a shared vision Mm -hmm. so at that point i was driving and i remember jaron being like oh my goodness, you thought of this too? Like, this is really something. Like, let's brainstorm. And you reached into the backseat and grabbed your tablet with its keyboard and fired up a spreadsheet and just started punching in ideas. Um, what, what do you remember of that moment? Well, the same thing. We had both had ideas for topics that we'd want to address, so we wrote those down. And the ideas of interviews was there from the beginning. So we started writing down lists of ideas and guests who we could have on the show to help us discuss these specific topics. And within a few hours, I think we had about 90 topics written down, and most of them we had guests in mind um, with whom we would talk about the topics. Which is kind of wild, like 90 episodes pretty much outlined by the time we got home of here's some things we want to cover, here's some people we know that could communicate these things. I think it was it was pretty obvious to us right from the start, you know, you and I aren't exactly um, brilliant um theologians that can you know uh, unpack all this stuff and understand it flawlessly of course not but we may know somebody who 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 might be able to do that like a bible school teacher um pastors different people that we've met throughout our travels and i think that was what what really was the finishing touches was well let's just go and find these people give them a platform so they can share what they've already studied and been teaching you know say in the classroom and make it available on the internet so anybody who wants to see this material could freely access it. Um, pretty pretty much is what happened, if, if I remember right. Right. And of course, you and I were involved from the beginning and helped shape what the organization became and the kind of things we talk about. But on none of the episodes are we the primary drivers of the content or the ideas being discussed. Like you said... We're not independently authoritative on these things, but we know a lot of people who have more background, more experience, more knowledge, and are more competent communicators than ourselves. And so from the start, we had the idea of bringing other people into the show as guests, where we do give them a platform to talk about what they want to talk about or what we ask them to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to remember, at that point, we had the foundations laid of what it would potentially look like. So it went from this idea we had on a road trip and this inspiration, but actually translated into reality is a lot of work. I, honestly, my memory is a little fuzzy at that point. That was October. And then I think at, pretty much right away we started looking for people. Did, did we not? To like come on board to help produce the videos, to edit the podcast, things like that. I think so. One of the first people I remember bringing in was Kyle Stolzfus. We emailed him the spreadsheet, and I forget exactly what he said. I think part of it was, don't leave me behind, indicating that he wanted to be involved somehow. And so we pulled him on as an advisor, and he's still an advisor. He's been a, 
He's been an interview guest. He's also provided a lot of insight. But who were you thinking of that we started bringing in? Um, let's see. See, I had no, I, I, I was friends with Dean Taylor at that point because I had done a video project with him the year before. Um, and I literally like, I just sent him a WhatsApp and said, Hey Dean, like we've been thinking about this idea and it would be actually, it'd be interesting to start digging up some of these old messages. But he basically said, wow, like this is, this is great. Like, this is wonderful. You're taking the, these teachings that we already have as a people and making them available to people that may not be able to hear these teachings otherwise um he said i'm in so i said well would you want to be an advisor so there was our second advisor um and then from there we you know pulled in a few other people um as advisors so that when we would outline these interviews that we were hoping to do we would send it to these men and say hey you you know do what do you think of these topics what do you think of these questions um is this okay what should we be covering that way it you know yeah jaron and i were driving it forward um but we always had accountability and there were, you know, there were a number of times where the advisors came back and said, you, know, you shouldn't do that or you should ask a different question here. And that was very helpful because, you know, we had never done this. We had never know, known anybody that had done something like this. So it felt like we were just kind of, I don't know, wandering around, figuring it out for the first time or something. Yeah, there was definitely things to figure out, but it wasn't, it wasn't totally wondering. We were kind of on a course that was pretty linear. So we kept heading towards that. Pretty early on, also, we began to pull together a team of video editors. Editing videos is a lot of work, and we wanted to find ways to distribute that. Pretty early on, we pulled in Brandon Nisley um, from Virginia, Ryan Trenkamp, who also lives here in Tennessee, and Myron Eby from New York. Were those our first three editors? Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe so, because then we would film it and basically just hand them the footage between those people they would kind of choose who was going to take it and then what they edited we would take the audio then um and then i think it was you initially and then would turn that into a podcast and then we would take the um subtitle transcripts um and work that into a blog post so that's actually how the blog originally started which it's re been redone multiple times since then um and then you know had a website which brought all this material together um, as well, which you built the website, I believe, um, right from the start there. Correct. Um, yeah. And, and from there, it just, you kept hearing about, oh, so-and-so is, you know, somebody we know that's, hey, they're interested in this project. Oh, cool. You know, let's bring them on as whatever. Um, two of our friends were like, well, we'll do proofreading for the blog. Awesome. So, you know, they're still doing that today. You know, it's been a couple of years and they're still helping with that. Um, I can edit subtitles. Uh, to put it up on YouTube so people can, you know, be able to, to listen better. Um, it was really amazing in retrospect that we were able to bring together so many people that quickly. In fact, you know, I should just look here live. So this would be staff, not board, but, but actual staff making things happen. There's 12 people, you know, and, and a lot of those are the originals from pretty much day one who came together and so like there's a lot of people that put in you know a lot of hours behind the scenes to make all this stuff work um at the end of the day those are those are really the the people that that make all this this project possible because there's no way it's just so much work for for jaren and i to try to do it all ourselves we couldn't obviously um and that was really neat to see people with a common vision come together for a project like that so we began to get people involved which was great but there was actually quite a few months between 
even pulling together some production staff and workers and when we were able to first start releasing episodes. So before we'd actually pulled the team together, like formally who'd be involved or not, Reagan had been doing some traveling and interviewing people that we wanted to have as guests on the show. I think he was in Texas pretty early on and spoke with Patrick Matthews about his testimony. That was one of the first ones. Reagan was also in Lancaster. We spoke with Matthew Landis about information technology and how that relates to the possibilities of evangelism and how conservative Mennonites are responding. And so we began to collect a set of episodes. But then in that summer, summer of 2017, there was the solar eclipse. And all of our editors, being Ryan and Brandon and Myron, came to Tennessee. We set up and we documented this solar eclipse. And after that, we got together at Reagan's parents' house, and we had our first meeting. And that's wild to think about. Because I think that was the first time we had the whole team in the same physical space, if I remember right. I believe so, yes. Yeah. And just kind of sharing the vision. Okay, guys, like here's kind of the big picture. Because at that point, honestly, they were pretty much going off of what I had told them in messages and phone calls. And like, you know, so it, it, it felt very hodgepodge. At that point, it felt like it really started coming together. Because... Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even remember how many episodes we had filmed at that point, um, but it was a it was a handful at least. And then through the rest of the summer, um, you know, we were filming the rest of them. That's this is 2017. So like there was about wow, this just hit me. But there was a full year where we had the idea October 2016, working on working on getting staff, starting to film and you know, spring, summer, fall of 2017, you know, editing, getting everything ready, you know, setting up the YouTube channel, website, Facebook, all, you know, the podcast channel. Um, and then the first episode happening in January, 2018. So there was over a year of preparation, um, and organizing and things, uh, just to get to the point where we could start launching episodes. Um, and it was, uh, do you remember that, that evening where, um, some of our editors were down, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our staff, we were over to, at your place that evening, and we were like, okay, we're going to have a kickoff party. So, like, we picked up pizza and soda, and we are like, we're going to have a little bit of a party and launch the first episode. Basically, hit that publish button on YouTube. Yeah, anyway, I don't, yeah, what do you remember for that? I do remember the evening. That was a lot of fun. We instantly got a lot of attention. People started following us on Facebook, and within just a couple of weeks, I think we had about a thousand followers. Yeah. One of the things that we found striking, at least it was to me, Mennonite World Review found out about us, and it wasn't long before we were on a phone call doing an interview with them for an article. So, which was wild, and if I remember right, it was on the bottom right-hand corner of the front page, right? I think we have a copy of that issue somewhere, don't we? I think I have one right here in my closet. Hold on. I haven't seen that for a long time. I, I have a copy because they sent me one. This is good. This is a real blast from the past right here. This is so cool. Okay, so here I'm holding a January 15, 2018 Mennonite World Review. Bottom left-hand corner, actually. It says, has this headline, Podcasters fill a, quote, void on conservative anabaptism. Um, and yeah, it was my sister... Um, who runs the Daughters of Promise magazine, and she had shared it. And at that point, when that was shared, it was still 
I mean, we really hadn't done any significant advertising. Like this was all organic. You know, we basically hit the upload button and put it into the void of cyberspace, you know? And I mean, like the team was sharing it on their personal Facebook pages and stuff, but it, it, that was it pretty much. And so, yeah, they ended up featuring us um, in Mennonite World Review, which was, which was fun. It was interesting. Um, and so I think at that moment, it kind of went click in my brain that, oh my, we, we might actually be onto something here. Because at that point, we had no real world data if it would work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we had spent over a year building it and we're like, it, will it work even? Like, will anybody care? Will anybody watch this stuff? And within about a week, it was pretty obvious that we, we, we had hit on something. So early on, we had those questions about whether anybody would listen or would there even be an audience? The answer was, yes, there is an audience to be had and people would listen. This month, on podcast and YouTube alone, we have about 6,700 people who have been listening every week. And that can fluctuate some. Sometimes it seems like it's more down around 4,000 people listening every week. But recently it's been very high, and the numbers have been growing every month. More people have been finding us and listening and paying attention. Some of the exciting things that we hear from people is when the podcast has helped to connect them with churches or introduce them to biblical concepts that they hadn't previously known about. So hearing, hearing those emails and comments from people on social media about how this podcast is benefiting them, helping them with their walk with God, or acquainting them with other sincere, godly people, that's very rewarding. Yeah, I think that was the part that maybe surprised me more than anything, was the amount of people reaching out to us and saying, wow, like, this made me look at things differently. You know, I want to learn more. Can I be connected to a church? Um, things along those lines. And I guess I didn't really expect that type of response, especially as quickly and in the amount of volume that we started receiving, you know, emails, even comments on social media, people sharing it around and, and engaging with the material. That was really encouraging because, again, you know, it's not really about us. I, honestly, like I tell people, I basically show up with some cameras and record me asking interesting questions to an interesting person who knows a lot about it. And I get to sit there and learn all this stuff. And it's fascinating to me. And I, I really enjoy it. Um, and it feels like that's all we're doing, really, is just asking questions and going to people that have spent a lot of time researching this and have thought about it and really care about what does the Bible say about living out our beliefs today and how can we do that. And then we go there and record that and share it with the world. Um, and that has been apparently helpful to many people. Um, and that's, that's really neat to be a part of that process. You know, it's really not, we're not really anything special, I would say, you know, we're not doing anything that someone else couldn't go do. Um, it's more providing the access to these teachings that are already within our churches, but that a lot of the outside world couldn't see simply because, we weren't readily able to find these teachings online, you know, digitally, because we were so used to doing things in print form, for example. Um, and it feels like we started breaking down some of those barriers so that people can find this material. And that's been really neat to watch it grow and develop um, in those ways. So at the end of the day, um, that's pretty much what it comes down to. You know, we're, um, we're a nonprofit, like it's just something we do on the side. It's a lot of work <laughs> for sure, but, but it's a real blessing to be able to serve in this way.
So why don't we talk a little bit about what what happens on a day-to-day basis and how we're structured and how things work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there there's a lot of people involved um, to make it all work, and it definitely definitely wouldn't happen without our team. We have an amazing team. Um, so these aren't in any particular order. This is just our list off the shared WhatsApp group, actually, that we use. Um, so Austin Schrock, which is my brother, helps with editing. Brandon Nisley, who also helps with uh, production, editing, that kind of thing. Dave Eschbach, who manages the blog and also a lot of communications for us. Uh, Elliot Mollett, who is an editor for the blog, as far as proofreading, um, and his wife, Krista uh, Mollett, as well. So they both do copy editing. Myron Eby, who, again, just assists with a lot of nuts and bolts, logistics, things like that. Ryan Trenkamp, who helps with filming and editing. Vilana Eby, uh, she also helps with uh, subtitles and just, yeah, again, a lot of the nuts and bolts. And then Vincent Miller, which is Jaren's uh, brother, who does podcast editing and assists uh, in the administrative side. So a lot of people who help with the nuts and bolts on a day-to-day basis really it's just simply wouldn't happen without our without our team. We've been immensely blessed um, with the people God's given us. Yeah, and then there's also a lot of other people involved on the board level and who work as advisors. Earlier on, we talked about how we brought in Kyle Stolswitz as an advisor. He is still serving and contributing that way, so we really appreciate his involvement. Also, Roseanne Bauman from Ontario. She's come on more recently, but she's been a... Uh, Tremendous asset. Uh, same with Stephen Russell. We've been glad to have his involvement. Also, he's been a, an occasional guest on our episodes. Also, Kendall Myers and Ernest Hostetler. We're glad for both of them to be involved. And Dean Taylor, too. He's been involved pretty much ever since the beginning, both as a guest and as an advisor. I, th- I think he was one of the first people I actually reached out to and, and shared the idea with. So, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's been great to have him on board. And then, as far as the board, that is Chester Weaver. We also pulled him in very early. We've been delighted for his contributions. Marlon Summers, who's been involved a lot. Also, he lives here in Tennessee. Same with uh, Byron Miller, also here at our church in Tennessee. And then also, Reagan is a board member. And really, at the end of the day, though, you know, so there's a big team making it all happen, but really... um, it's it's the listeners that have kept this going. Uh, we've been very blessed to have a number of people um, contribute to keep it going. It's a, obviously this is a nonprofit, so it survives on donations. And um, yeah, there have been a number of people that have helped out to keep it going. And we're very grateful for that. So yeah, as you can tell, definitely a team effort. A lot of work goes into it, um, and it's a real blessing um, to see people come together in a shared vision to to make this thing happen. So I think that pretty much sums it up. That's a little bit of the story of how it started and um, how Anabaptist Perspectives is run. Uh, Thank you again for listening, for your support, for your prayers. We really love to hear from our audience. So if you had feedback or questions or maybe ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear it. Uh, Again, thanks for listening. We are delighted that we can bring these episodes to you free of charge and make them available across the internet. We put a lot of work and money into travel and production. To keep producing episodes, we need your help. One way you can support us is by making a tax-deductible donation by sending us a check or donating online. Another way to support Anabaptist Perspectives 
is by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Anabaptist Perspectives. By joining on Patreon, you will gain access to bonus content, including exclusive live stream footage and a special Q&A podcast with the Anabaptist Perspective staff.